take a drink of water, one of my grandsons. And then he goes, ah. <laughs> I think of the words of Betty Davis, great philosopher, <laughs> actress Betty Davis, said, fasten your seatbelt. It gets a little bumpy from here. <laughs> I don't even know what movie that was in, but it was one of her, somewhere, if I didn't get it exactly right, one of her classic lines, I think. You know, and I, I think there are generally in any time there are things we don't like. There are things going on that we would prefer not be going on, but sometimes there are. Things, sometimes life is just not where we want it to be. And this morning I called the lesson Bitter Water. Bitter water, and we're going to go over a little story here in a moment that maybe you know the story, and if you don't, first time, it's a neat little story in the midst of the Israelites coming out of Egypt shortly after they cross the Red Sea and begin to make their way into the wilderness. We'll read from beginning in verse 23 of Exodus 15, Exodus 23, I mean 15, no, verse 22, I beg your pardon. No, 23. I've got 22 down in one place, 23 down in another. Who typed this thing? I've got to figure out one day who keeps hitting the keyboard when I'm trying to type these things. Verse 23, and it says, Now, when they came to Marah, which means bitter, when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And when he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them. And there he tested them and said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. It's a passage about trust. It's a passage about water. It's a passage about need. It's a passage about God and what God can do. I think I just came across this in the reading one day, and I thought, you know, I, I, I don't know that I've ever talked about this really preached on this. I've heard the story in the past. It's not one of those that we dwell on in our children's classes very, very much. It's not one of those big stories, I guess, in that way. But but it is an interesting and a neat little story. And so I began to work on this and think about this and what it might I might share with you out of this thought and this lesson in that regard. And the whole time I was working on this lesson, I kept hearing the sons of the pioneers singing cool clear water. Some of you are hearing it right now, aren't you? It's just going over in your heads. And then there are others of you who don't have a clue what I'm talking about because you're thinking, who in the world are the sons of the pioneers? And that's really not a very good picture up there, but you can see Roy Rogers out there in front kind of, and and he was a part of their group at, at times and and others, the two most notable that I think about changing people over time was uh, Ken Curtis was also a son of the pioneers and so forth. That's about the only two that I remember offhand in that. Not that you're interested in that, but they still are around. They still sing and their harmonies and Western music is, is still out there and all. But I kept hearing that song. And if you don't know the song, go home, get on YouTube and, and listen. Don't do it here. Don't get out your phone and do it right now. 
But go home and listen to that, and then you'll know why it was running through my mind. But just the name of it ought to tell you something out there. If you think about it, just about every old Western program, every old Western movie or television program had some part in it where they were out in the desert, maybe coming into a, an old town where it's been deserted, a ghost town, and all, and somebody starts hitting the pump or looking into the horse trough or something like that, and I never knew why they wanted to drink out of a horse trough, but if you're thirsty enough, anything will do. But go into those dry and they're just parched. They've been wandering around in the desert, and their horses are gone and so forth, and they were dying of thirst. Well, it's for sure. We need water. We need water to survive, and we're, we're blessed. We live in a blessed time, I know, because we don't live long without water, and we need, need some, as the song says, cool, clear water. But as I said, we're spoiled. We're spoiled to easily accessible and relatively clean, regardless of what you hear about tap water and everything else and whether you drink it or don't drink it. I'm not getting into that. We can argue about tap water, but we have easily accessible, clean water to drink. Generally, we would agree that we have abundant water. We're pretty well off here in this area, aren't we? We've got water. We may have to kind of ration how much we put on our lawns from time to time, but what happens if we don't have it? What happens if we hit the tap and there's no water? What happens when it is not readily available? Years ago, when I was growing up especially, and growing up certain times of the year, certain times of the year, you know, usually in the fall and maybe the early spring, the water would get to tasting kind of bittery, weedy, mossy you know however you want to describe it muddy some would say you know what I'm talking about we you've tasted that haven't you and you you drink that one and think oh that just doesn't taste good and it kind of ruins the coffee and who nobody wants their coffee ruined but kind of ruins the coffee my mother used to say oh the lake's turning over again I don't know what that meant but I understand what you're saying the heat exchanges and so forth and you can read all about those things if you want to I don't know all the, all the reasons for it, and you could explain it to me and probably have better ideas for it. What I did know is that it didn't taste right. Still drinkable, but it didn't taste right, and it sure didn't help the coffee and other things that you made out of the water. But the point is, we like, we like it. We like having access to it. We need it. We need it to survive. We need water to drink. So here's where we go with this, and the story is there. The Israelites met with some unpleasant water. We don't know what all was wrong with this water, why the water was as it was, but there they go. They've come across the, the Red Sea. They've escaped the Egyptians. The Egyptians have died. They celebrated. They had their, their big song, the Song of Moses. The women have been out there shaking their tambourines, and everybody's excited about all this business, and it, it's, a, it's a great time. And so they, Moses leads them at the instruction of God, leads them out, and they begin their journey, and three days out into the journey, they come to Moses and say, hey, we're thirsty, and this water's no good to drink. So they did what they usually do, don't, didn't they? When things weren't right, what'd they do? They complained. What do we do when things are not right? We complain. They went to Moses, and they complained about the situation. The words ring with some sound, kind of like the children in the backseat of a car as you're driving along the road, and there's no place to stop in sight, and they say, we're thirsty. 
it's either that or they need to stop and use the restroom. Maybe the kids could tell you when we were doing that and driving along, beat out on the road, and they'd say, Dad, we're thirsty. And I'd say, thanks for the information. You know, that's good. Thank you. Glad to know it. I was not a kind father. But the Israelites said, we're out here and we don't have water to drink. You know, it's Moses' fault, isn't it? They're out there and they've got no water to drink. But this is not the first time they complained. You can go back to the previous chapter in chapter 14 before they crossed the Red Sea. What they do? They went to Moses and said, wouldn't it have been better just to stay in Egypt? You bring us out here to die. Were there not enough graves back there for us to be there? And so they complained. And it's a cycle that we see throughout the 40 years. Constantly there's a complaint and this problem, that problem comes along. No meat to eat, no bread. To, you know, what do we got? We're going to starve to death out here. And I know that when you got somewhere in the neighborhood, probably a million people out there at least, it takes a lot of water, it takes a lot of food. But there's nothing said about them doing anything on their own. It doesn't appear that they did anything on their own about the water. They didn't, it doesn't sound like they went out and tried to dig some wells, see if they could find some fresh water somewhere in the place. I remember out in West Texas, my grandfather... When they first they started, when they built a place out there back in the 1950s, they were using lake water. They just pumped it out of the lake right up there, and they drink the lake water, and it did taste kind of mossy and so forth. But then, a little bit later, went down there and they they put in a well. My, I remember my grandfather said, "Yep, 90 feet down and clear, clean, cold water." I like that. But these Israelites didn't do anything. They didn't dig any wells. It doesn't appear. There's nothing stated about it. They just got out there. The only water that was available to them was unpleasant to them. And so they, they go to Moses and complain about it. What in the world did they expect Moses to do? Maybe they thought he'd wave his wand and everything would be fine. I say wand, his staff. Moses didn't have a wand. He had a staff. Come on now. Wave his staff out there. I don't know what they thought. He was the leader. They turned it to him. That's what we commonly do. They wanted satisfaction, and they wanted him to provide it for them. They wanted an answer from him. But you know, the thought crosses my mind. When you go out into the wilderness, when you head into the wilderness, it really is always a good idea to have food and water with you. Now, we think about that. And when we have the ease of transportation we've got today and the access to so many things, it's not as big a deal but can you imagine trying to haul water with them? How much water would they need in that arid country? How much water could they carry with them? How much would they need in their wagons for so many people? Here's their situation. There is no doubt. We can't criticize them for that. There is no doubt that they needed good drinkable water to survive. There is no doubt that God, through Moses, had miraculously led them to where they were. There is no doubt, it seems, that the water where they were was not drinkable. At least it says it was bitter. And regardless of the reason for the lack of it, they did need water. And they let their need, the desperation of their need, be known. Now, that's an interesting story. 
As you follow the story on, we recognize that God points him to a tree, throws a tree in the water, has it thrown in the water, the water becomes sweet, and they've got water drink. I don't know what the tree had to do with it. I don't know what kind of tree it was. I, you know, I think you can throw a tree into a dirty pond, and it's probably not going to clean it up much. But that's what they did. Somebody might be able to explain it better than I can, but I think it's more of a miraculous thing than it is anything else when you look at it. This was God. Will we do this? Throw the tree in there. But it reminds me that God had a tree there. It reminds me that God can do with things. It reminds me that there was access immediately available to them if they're willing to take it. Well, let's go with this and let's go with the illustration of it. So they did get water. Let's go with the illustration of it, because life meets bitter water. We're not talking about water anymore, but let's keep that illustration in mind. When we talk about life meeting bitter water, we're not necessarily talking about H2O. We're not necessarily talking about the stuff that comes out of the tap or the water fountain or in the stream out there. But we do recognize that not all water is the same. Just because there is water doesn't mean that it's pleasant water. If you've traveled the country very often, you've probably been places where maybe you went to get a drink and that water didn't taste very good. I hate to tell you, but growing up in northeastern Oklahoma, the water tasted better up there than it did when we moved out west of here a few miles. Don't shake your head no at me. I know what I'm talking about. The water up in the northeastern part of the state tasted better than the water out here. I don't know. That's been a long, long time ago. Am I going to be stoned after service is over? I remember my mother coming out and making a pot of coffee. She says, you know, your coffee tastes salty. Because the water, the well water out there, it was hard jip water, and it didn't, ta- it didn't taste as good. It tastes better here now. We've got good drinkable water. I believe that. But just because there's water doesn't mean that it's pleasant water. In fact, sometimes when we would travel and we'd go places, you know, you've been on the highway sometimes and you see the sign. They don't put them up there much anymore because people don't go and drink like, like this. We put a sign up and it would say Sulphur Spring. Not necessarily the towns, and we know sulfur. And you've been there, you know how the smell of it is when you pass by a sulfur spring and that old rotten egg smell that's out there. My dad, I can remember us stopping more than once a place that said, oh, there's a sulfur spring up here. And we would, we would go and he would stop the car and he would get out and he would want to drink the water. That's when I realized that my father was not altogether there. But in all seriousness, he believed there was some health benefits from drinking that. And some of you can tell me about that, the minerals in the water and and things like that. My father used to stop at those places, those sulfur springs, and he'd say, you need to drink this. I just couldn't get past the smell of it. That's just the way it was. But we're not talking about real literal water. I want us to make an application of this and think about this. Because life sometimes goes quickly from that clean water to dirty water. Sometimes life goes quickly from times of elation of good things to times of desperation. Look at the Israelites. Here they are celebrating. Three days later, they're out there saying, we're going to die because we don't have anything to drink. And that's the way it is sometimes. That's what Paul was getting at in Ecclesiastes. Solomon was getting at in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 when he says, sometimes there are great times of celebration. Sometimes there's a time to laugh, a time to cry, a time to dance, a time to mourn. 
Yes, things change, don't they? That's a reality. They had been praising God for the Red Sea crossing. Now they're saying, what in the world are we going to do? We don't have any water to drink, and we're going to die out here. They went three days, three days, my friends, and they found no water that was drinkable. They wanted, they wanted life to be what it had seemed to be. How many times have we prayed? How many times have we prayed in the last year that life would return to normal? I don't know what normal is. Yes, we would like to be about our business, about our conduct and the ways with the freedom. And yes, I think that's what we're talking about. But you know, every event that happens in life changes us. Every circumstance we meet changes us. It changes our thinking. It changes our behavior. It changes how we approach things. And I think we're going to see that in the the days ahead that we will be a people who have some some differences in our manner of thought and our approach to a lot of things because of what has been happening around us and not just the pandemic but a lot of things that have been going on and it's always that way but just these have been more in our vision than they had before so life meets some bitter waters and we want life to be what we want it to be we want it to have the 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 picturesque, the beautiful, the comfortable, the correct, the, the, the blessed life. We want it to be that. That's what we have in mind. And so when we meet with an obstacle, when we meet with those bitter water times, you know what I'm talking about, when we meet with those bitter water times, when we meet with the pandemic, when we meet with the obstacles, when we meet with the illness, when we meet with the troubles that come our way, it is a challenge to our thinking, it's a challenge to our heart, it's a challenge to our faith. And what we've got here and what we find here is the reminder, is the reminder to follow the leader, follow the Lord. And while I say that, I know, and you know, it's easy to love and follow the Lord when times are good. When you're flush and healthy and life is good and people are happy, it's easy in a way to follow the Lord, to praise the Lord, say, isn't it great to be alive? Those fun times, those good times. You know, Jesus had good times. He had fun times. One of the earliest things we read about in the ministry of Jesus was he was at a wedding. He was at a wedding celebrating. He was at a wedding feasting. He was at a wedding having fun with people until his mother told him they were out of wine. But he was there. Don't think he was over there in a corner just trying to be pious and separated and, and not having any fun. I think sometimes we get the idea that Jesus went through his 30-something years of life and never laughed, never had fun, never enjoyed himself. I don't think that's the case. We find him at a wedding, celebrating with people at a wedding. Jesus had some good and some fun times in his life. And so it's easy to love the Lord when things are good. Elijah was... It was easy to follow the Lord on Mount Carmel when the fire came down from heaven and says, God, let's get rid of those prophets of Baal and all of that in uh, 1 Kings 19, I mean 18. But when we get to 1 Kings 19, he gets a death threat, immediately he's afraid and he runs from God. The obstacle gets in his way, and not run from God, runs from Jezebel. He runs away and it said, it says there when you read 1 Kings 19, he ran away. 
we know it's easy to follow the Lord when things are good. But it can be tough when times are hard. It can be tough when you're thirsty and you want some water. When you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness, Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We don't want to be in those shoes. But he said, you will be filled. When we're thirsty for something, when we're hungry for something, we want water. When Jesus was telling his disciples in John 14, I'm going to be gone from you. Philip says, show us the Father and it will suffice us. They'd already asked, I believe it was Thomas, wasn't it? Thomas that asked, Lord, we don't know where you're going. We don't know the way that you're going. They're in those first few verses of John 14. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's the way to God. Philip says, show us the Father, and it will suffice. He says, you've seen the Father when you've seen me. Who would have thought a year ago? Who would have thought a year ago we'd be sitting in a place like this with masks on or, or off, afraid to touch somebody's hand? We don't hug and embrace like we used to. We can't get close and talk. We, we don't socialize like we used to. Who would have thought? But that's where we are, isn't it? We like to believe things are getting better and going to get a whole lot better. I believe that too. But who would have thought we would go through something like this? Who would have said we're going to do this? Somebody says, well, there's some scientists here, some they thought and they saw, and this could happen. And I understand that. But who among us really pictured that we would be in the circumstances we're in today? We didn't, did we? Last year, we anticipated a beautiful spring and found ourselves in a civilization changing with a viral pandemic. Who would have thought? And we know in in challenges and, and tragedies that come along. We commonly ask, where's the Lord? Where is the Lord in this? And Moses helped them see that the Lord was who got them through. It was through the Lord the water that they were dealing with was made better. It was still that water, but it was made better. They needed to learn to deal with what was there. There was a tree right there. There was water right there. He didn't immediately just remove them. He didn't just suddenly bring in new water. There wasn't a great flood that came down their way. It wasn't like manna spread over the countryside or quail being brought in by the wind. The water and the tree were right there. God's provisions were already in place. God got them through, got them through and he made the water better. And then he led them to better waters. As you read on in the story, you find they went to a place with the palm trees and the, the different uh, pools or springs of water that were there. And people had an abundant water. They had plenty there. The Lord took them to the place that they could have that. So I call it bitter waters because I think we need to see the bitter waters. We need to recognize the waters where we are. We need to see the hard times so that we just don't think that our vision of what life ought to be is the way things necessarily are. And so when we come to it, Let's meet the test. Let's meet the test. Let me give you four things real quick in this. Let me give you four things out of this story in that. When we meet the test, we need to see beyond the present struggle. The people weren't seeing beyond where they were. That happened again and again and again in their struggles along the way. They only saw where they were. They only saw the tragedy they were dealing with. They only saw that. And isn't that the way we do? When we're caught up in a, in a problem, in a tragedy, in a struggle, what do we see? We see the struggle. We see the tragedy. We see the problem. 
But the story reminds us we need to see beyond the struggle. That God has so many things in store. I think about Jesus. He endured the cross despising the shame, didn't he? Hebrews chapter 12. But notice what it says about him. Who for the joy, did you follow that? Who for the joy that was, listen to the words, set before him, ahead of him. Seeing beyond. He could see beyond the cross. He could see beyond the death. He could see beyond the opening of the tomb. He could see beyond the moment they were in. He could see beyond the challenges that were there, the beatings, the abuse, the the physical things that were happening to him and the verbal things that were happening around him. He could look to the situation and, and in those answers, in the answers that he was looking to see, he looked beyond the moment. Who for the joy that was set before him? Number two, see beyond the present struggle. Number two, Ask yourself, what can I do about it? Now, you might think I've got that backward. Ask, what can I do about it? I said, the Israelites, they should have tried to figure out where's water. Can we dig and can we dig some wells? You say, well, are you trying to circumvent God? You're trying to get around God, thinking that it's all in our hands? Didn't God give us brains? Didn't God give us experience? Didn't God give us instruction? Throughout the pages of history and the Bible, God has always used people, their abilities, their intellect, their opportunities to accomplish his will. It's associating what we know, what we learn, and what we have experienced within the scope of what God has given to us that we accomplish great things. Ask, what can I do about it? I'm not trying to uh, quote John Kennedy in that, but ask, what can I do about it? The answer may be different than we want it to be, but it may show us the path that we need to follow. Let me give you number three quickly in that, too. We need to look to the greater resource when we meet the test. You see, it wasn't wrong necessarily to go to Moses. It wasn't wrong to go and seek God That's not the problem. We need to look to the greater resource. Seeking God and godly resources is not a bad thing. Aren't we taught to pray? Seeking God is not a bad thing. Jesus said, come to me, you who labor and are heavy laden. Matthew 11, 28. Come to me, you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. We're looking to Jesus as an opportunity. We need to look to the greater resources. How many times have we prayed? Take it to the Lord in prayer. We lean upon him. What a friend we have in Jesus. He's been through it. Tempted and tried just like we are. Look to the greater resource. Because what God can do is far above and beyond what we can do. And then let me give you one more. Keep moving. Moping and lingering in the depth of bad times goes nowhere. I think there is built within each and every one of us that viewpoint that says, I've got to move forward. That's why our eyes are put in the front of our heads and not in the backs. Some of you mothers have them in the backs, I know. But... Keep moving forward. We're looking forward. We're seeing where we're going. We're looking for something that is ahead. We press ourselves forward. In part because we want to return to life. We want things better. We want to see what is ahead. 
but it is keep moving. There's a line from the television show MASH. This fellow was writing a letter and he said, it's not so much what you're doing and everything, I think, but that we keep moving. It's not the tragedies you face in life, but that you keep moving. If we mope and we linger and we sit around and cry, we're not going to get anywhere. Yes, there is a time to cry a little bit. Yes, there is a time to sit down and, and, and feel the pain of something for a little while. But then you get up and you start moving again. Moping and lingering in the depth of bad times goes nowhere. We are intended to move. Meet the test and move forward. And what happened to the Israelites? They got to where there was water. That's it. So the message to you this morning is simply this. Don't let bitter waters get you. For the other part of the message is follow. Follow the one who leads beside those still sweet waters as David described. He leads me beside still waters, the waters for drinking. That's it. It's about trust, isn't it? We may be in the midst of bitter waters, but if we listen and hope and believe and do and act and give it our very best and all the things we described here today, in our trust in God, he will take us to sweeter waters.